Welcome to the second Sunday special in season four of the Life Giver podcast. This is your host, Corey Weathers. I'm so grateful that you are joining me as we dive deeper into discussions about our faith and our relationship with God, as we also have honest conversations about what it means to be a life giver in our family and in our home and marriage. And today's episode is a great example of that. It is my honor to introduce to you my good friends, Jim and Ashley, who are bravely coming on the podcast to share their very personal story of how they've had to lean on their relationship with God and each other to get through one of the most difficult seasons of their life and marriage that they have experienced to date. For those of you who've gone through intense grief or maybe going through it now, today's episode could be a little difficult for you to listen to, especially if you've gone through the loss of a child or have had a miscarriage. But I want to encourage you to listen anyways, because I know that what Jim and Ashley have to share with you today is going to encourage you and inspire you to walk through that grief in a way that maybe you haven't thought of before. And those of you who are in a very healthy place, um, I would encourage you to listen to this episode, even if you think that it doesn't apply to you right now, because there are people walking around you every day who are going through hurt, who are going through pain, loss, or grief. And I know that what Jim and Ashley are going to share with you today is going to really give you those words to speak life into someone else's circumstance. You know, when I listen to someone's story, even if it's a documentary that I watch or on a podcast, I like to think that that listening to their story is a way of me supporting the fact that they had the courage to step out and share it. They may not be able to see me or know that I'm listening, but something tells me that the very act of me pausing my life to think about it and meditate on it and really allow it to change me gives their story honor and it rewards that bravery and courage that it took for them to come out and share it. And so those of you who are listening, I'd like to encourage you to maybe pause whatever it is that you're doing or maybe choose to listen to this episode at a time when you won't be distracted and you could really listen to the words because um, it is a little bit longer than I normally would have for a podcast episode, but I felt like if I condensed any more of their story, it would rob them of that opportunity to share it with you. But I knew that it would change and alter their story somehow. So I appreciate your grace and patience in allowing this episode to be a little bit longer than usual. Again, thank you for joining me. I hope that this story changes you. I hope that it encourages you. And more than anything, I hope it brings you closer in your relationship with God as you go through your own circumstances today. I'm so happy to introduce everybody to Ashley and Jim. I met them because I had the honor of coming out to speak to your families out in Washington, um, where you were the chaplain with the 160th. And, and I will tell you that I left that weekend completely encouraged and inspired and challenged by the way that you guys live your life and the way that you serve the families that you've that God has put you in front of and um, I remember I came home and I told Matt I was like this couple is a, is an incredibly special couple they're a power couple like I've not really seen before your heart for ministry your um, humility your hospitality and your love for families and the way that you guys come together and serve together was incredible to watch. And I left a better person from that experience. And so it was such a great joy to find out that you guys were um, coming to Fort Jackson where we have gotten to be stationed together 
And since you've been here, life has been quite a roller coaster. And and the reason why I wanted to ask you to share your story is that I obviously believe that stories are powerful. And when we share them, we bring meaning to that pain. And I've seen you guys do that so well. So those that are listening, it could be a very difficult story to listen to. And there might be some things that other people have experienced that might bring up some of their own pain. But I think all three of us sitting at this table in your home right now mm-hmm. would agree that sometimes it's good to dig up some of those feelings in order to process them and bring them to a, a better place. So thank you so much for joining me and for coming on the podcast and for more than anything, being willing to share your own personal story and your feelings attached to it. So thank you. Yeah, Thank you for having us. Yeah, thank you. Why don't you tell everybody a little bit about why you're here at Fort Jackson and what you do? Sure. Um, so I just came from 4th 160th there at Joint Base Lewis McCord and um, got orders to come to Fort Jackson for the Captain's Career Course for Chaplains uh, and arrived here in July and started the course uh, in July and, and uh, have been a part of the course for a few months uh, when kind of our family loss happened and family uh, medical um issues happen as we'll share uh, and was put on kind of a educational pause and then have been able to pick up where I left off now in the new year. So uh, we'll be here till the summer and and at this point we'll have a follow-on assignment hopefully in the area is what we're looking at. So hopefully at Fort Jackson as well. So a great opportunity to continue the relationships that the Lord has given to us. Uh, A good support from the uh, the chaplain uh, schoolhouse to allow me to take care of my family in, in um, the hardest uh, kind of season of life that we've had. We've had the, the most support that we've ever had, and uh, we've been very blessed in that way. Tell us a little bit about your family when you first got here. How many kids do you have? And we'll go from there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so much of this journey has been us coming full circle. Um, we're from South Carolina. This is where both Jim and I grew up in a small town, Aiken, uh, where we met in high school. So um, we have just been really excited to be coming back here and to be back with family close by and just thinking, all right, this is just going to be a quick five-month immersion into uh, being back in Southern culture and just enjoying it before we get plucked out and uh, find out where we go next um, within the military. And uh, we really just uh, cherished our time with our last battalion. Um, We felt like we grew so much through a lot of the hard times that we had there. Um, And we, at that time, had um, a daughter who was nine and then um, a four-year-old and two-year-old boys, a dog and a guinea pig, um, (laughs) all uh, in the car driving across country uh, before we came here. And um, we found out that we were expecting uh, soon after we got here to uh, the Columbia area. And um, we're excited to share with our family and with um, everyone that we were expecting again and um, uh, really enjoyed just kind of thinking that this was going to be a season, God's sovereignty to bring us back whenever we needed support to have another baby. Yeah, we both felt uh, coming from the last assignment that uh, emotionally um, wore out, but spiritually and encouraged and strengthened, we felt like we had finished a marathon mm-hmm. and um, where 
we felt exhaustion in some areas, but a, a, a exhilaration mm-hmm. in other areas, especially as it related to ministry and um, connections. And so we came to uh, Captain's Career Course with the desire to do ministry, to to pour into other um, chaplain couples and, and that maybe had a, a challenging experience. Um, and so I think that was our mentality coming in. Uh, what we experienced so far is is where the Lord used others to minister to us. I think it was uh, early September, uh, we found out that we were expecting twins, uh, mm-hmm. which we were really thrilled about. Ashley's dad is a twin, um, so she has a, a family history of twins and really got uh, excited about that opportunity. A little bit nervous uh, with the reality of having three kids already and having twins, but knowing with family support and the excitement, um, we kind of started to uh, pray to the Lord that this would be a huge blessing. Uh, We, after our first child, Margot, we had a a season where we weren't able to have children. um, And so then we had our son, JD, who's four now. Um, And so there's almost a an idea that the Lord was restoring back what was lost that that period of time where we weren't able to have kids for a little while. And so we just got really excited that uh, the Lord uh, is now just filling our home. And so shortly after you found out that you were having twins and it was twins, twin boys, Mm -hmm. identical twin boys, Um, you had a a medical scare with your two-year-old. We did. Um, Mid-September, our son, uh, Andrew, calm Drew, um, started to have seizures. So uh, we went through the process, got an MRI, got scheduled for a uh, EEG, um, EKG, just to check out other things. Um, and what, what they found was very humbling and disheartening and scary. Uh, they found a lesion uh, in the uh, left side of his brain. Um, and so that kind of caused some concern. And that was what was causing the seizures. But they weren't really sure what caused the lesion. Um, and so we started kind of down the process about mid-September uh, into finding out what would have caused the lesion and um, what needed to take place. How are you guys managing that as a couple with you being in school and you being pregnant with twins? Mm-hmm. That's that's a lot of stress to, to take on. Um, it definitely was um, the start of, whoa, how are we going to do all this? Of, um, you know, just trying to plan. I couldn't control everything at that point. And, um, you know, I couldn't manage everything like I would want to and just kind of releasing some of it of, you know, being grateful that there were, we live on a, on a cul-de-sac and the families who were here at this time were, um, absolute godsend. Um, they, uh, would constantly have our kids over and, and help out and just, um, you know, the, the tribe that is the military community just, um, became even more um, authentic and um, powerful um, in that crisis too because they were giving us um, little treat bags for Drew. I was taking him out to some of his appointments and Jim and I would be able to go to something so that um, you know there were other people who were watching the other kids so that he and I could go together to some of the uh, important appointments then um, and 
that was really uh, very, very meaningful to us to see um, and for our family to see, too, that, um, you know, we've been um, stationed further, much further away. And for our um, parents and our um, siblings to see that we had a whole community on mm-hmm. post um, who who's got it, who they step up and step in and um, just really served us whenever we uh, needed to, to have a community around us to help. One of the things that kind of was going on during that time as well is that once we found out uh, that we were having identical twin boys, they referred Ashley to another doctor uh, that does that specializes um, within that area. Now we had multiple appointments with Ashley that kind of started to stack on top of the appointments mm-hmm. with uh, with Drew. Mm-hmm. Ashley and I had talked many times over John 15 about God being uh, the vine dresser. Mm-hmm. And, um, and that imagery of my mind started to really uh, play a part in kind of how I thought through this process and the Lord. What does that mean, the vine dresser? We viewed initially, we viewed this as a, a, an experience of where God was drawing us closer to him. And part of that is the pruning, that, that he is the one that um, is determining in our lives um, what areas to grow and what areas to, to strengthen and what areas to challenge. With open hands, we were allowing the Lord to, to, to prune, to shape, to... Um, to be the gardener that shapes our family in the way he wants it. Not in the way we want, but in the way he wants. Um, so let me ask this, because I think there's probably somebody that, that would be asking this question right now, which is when he says that God is pruning us, is he saying that God is doing this? Through conversations, we would both agree and stamp that this is God's will. Um, and we'll, we'll reiterate this at the end of the story, but that we believe that this is God's perfect will um, because he's perfect and he is in control um, and we trust him. But it doesn't mean we like it. It doesn't mean we want it. It doesn't mean that we want we you know, that we don't want him to heal Drew as if some, okay, God, we accept this and it's not a big deal. We, we cried out many times for healing. Uh, I know Ashley shared with me uh, a, a scripture in Mark and just that process of seeing, okay, God, some things you do immediately. We've seen healing immediate, uh, immediately and sometimes you don't. And there, there's a purpose in, in both. And we trust you for, you can, and if you don't, you have you have a plan and you have a purpose. You're not waiting on us to, you know, hey, we did something wrong. You're not waiting on a confession before you take our hardship away. You're not waiting on us to say the right thing or to, um, you, you have a plan in this and you're, you're waiting on us to come to you. You're waiting on us to rely on you and trust in you. Uh, you're waiting on us to submit our plan uh, into your plan. And, uh, and I think even from the passage in Mark, the, the disciples struggled and they said, why didn't this work? You know, why, why it worked over here? Why didn't it work here? And, and Christ just said, well, this one is different. This one comes out through prayer. And, and it, it shows that, you know, even within the spiritual realm and, and we're not making direct association or not uh, overstating, but even within the spiritual realm, uh, the Lord does things differently than he does. And so there isn't this like perfect 
pattern of the Lord, a perfect, you know, uh, mathematical equation. Uh, and there's a submission to his, to his will. And I think by the time we started uh, into uh, his EEG at the hospital, we had gotten to that point that we had kind of opened our hands and said, okay, Lord, um, we want healing. We trust you can do healing, but, but your will be done. Um, Ashley had a, a doctor's appointment scheduled during uh, while Drew was at the uh, EEG at the hospital. Uh, it was at the same hospital. And she, because I was watching Drew and timing didn't work out, I wasn't able to go with her. Um, and Ashley uh, went to the, the doctors herself. And so she can share kind of how that went. Um, it was another ultrasound appointment. So the ultrasound tech, she um, kind of like I've heard on other stories of just, she just kind of stepped, she was quiet and uh, stepped out, stepped back in with the, um, with the doctor and um, he and uh, there were two residents with him and we were commenting about how, um, you know, just how full our life was going to be with uh, four boys, four years old and under <laughs> and just um, the excitement of that. And uh, he just said, let me take a look. And um, it was then that he, um, did a couple calculations and and did some measurements and then um, he just said you know it's not a good sign whenever the doctor is called in and he said I just want you to know that we're gonna um, talk through some options and some uh, some things uh, but I'm, I want you to go ahead and, and get dressed and we'll go over um, to my office so um, at that point, I just couldn't believe that of all the appointments for me not to have Jim with me. We thought at least the Lord would let, let us get through one uh, medical crisis mm -hmm. before we stepped into another. Mm -hmm. um, but that wasn't true either. So, mm -hmm. um, so she found out the information. Yeah. So he did. He said that we had uh, stage two TTTS, which is twin to twin transfusion syndrome, which only happens in identical twins who share a placenta who are monodi twins so they share a placenta ours had separate sacs but they uh, shared a placenta so um, that placental share um, was um, different enough and had um, incorrect um, blood vessels that were connecting to each other rather than to the placenta to be able to get nutrition that um, our twins were growing at a different rate. So they were over a 20% difference um, in their size estimate. And then they also um, had some signs uh, within their uh, anatomy. So um, twin A had um, no no visual uh, bladder. Um, he also didn't have any uh, amniotic fluid around uh, his sac. Uh, twin B had, um, was the, so that was the donor twin. And then the recipient twin had an excessive amount of um, amniotic fluid and had um, started to have thickening around the heart tissue from uh, having to work harder with um, increased blood volume. Um, so at that point, um, there's up to st stage five, which is um, the demise of one or both. Um, so we were at stage two at that point. He, he provided Ashley with a lot of different options for um, 
for us to go up to Charlotte and for Ashley to be seen by the um, team there in Charlotte uh, that does the surgery. Uh, he proposed for us to go the, the next day, uh, which would have been a Friday, and we... Um, to be seen by another doctor who mm -hmm. usually works with these conditions. Mm -hmm. yes. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Um, she specializes in the TTTS uh, surgery, um, and she came to come talk to me clearly uh, and distraught, but in a calm distraught, you know, um, and at that point, my sister was in town. Just she she had a doctor's appointment for her son, and just kind of how the Lord worked it. She was there, and I just asked her if she could stay with Drew. And we went um, to kind of a garden area there at Palmetto Health and talked. Um, our physician he actually ended up texting me later that night, that Wednesday night, and said, "I don't think you have through the weekend. Um, I want you to go up uh, tomorrow if you're at all able." And so they scheduled her to be administered to the hospital there in Charlotte uh, on Saturday, Sunday, and then um, uh, Monday uh, would be the surgery. Um, and so we we left there kind of excited, kind of almost feeling like, okay, this is a plan. This is going to this is gonna work. You know, this is what it'll all come the, together. We have the best person in the Southeast, mm -hmm. right, that mm -hmm. knows how to treat this and, and is trained and does specifically this. Like, what better could you ask for? Mm -hmm. yeah. Right? And, and we have a plan. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And, and I remember um, we had planned to go away that weekend just with things going on. And so here Ashley and I are, are in Charlotte without the kids kind of, um, you know, processing through this. And it wasn't really until um, Ashley and I were walking, we went and go to California Pizza Kitchen to get some food near the mall. Um, and Ashley made the comment, hey, would, would you like to go to the mall and maybe find something for the boys? Um, and I said, some you know, blankets. some baby blankets and stuff. And I said, no, not, not really. You know, I'm not interested to go to the mall. And she said, well, um, you know, I was just thinking about maybe doing that just in case you know, they, they, if they pass away, we have something, you know, and I think that was maybe the first time it, it hit me like a ton of bricks. Uh, that, the first time of that reality that, that they may not, that they may pass away, you know, that this surgery may not work or, uh, something might go wrong or, um, and so obviously that started now the conversation of, okay, uh, Lord prepare us for, for this possibility, um, for this tragedy, for this loss. Um, not, not a fear, but more of just preparing our hearts. And and I think it was what he was doing with us through the time with Drew that our hearts were almost, the, the soil was was toiled uh, to receive kind of this um, challenge of, of processing through, well, okay, if, if surgery goes great, or if surgery doesn't go great, you know, um, how do we walk in that? Uh, up to that point, we didn't have names. Uh, and so that evening we started to kind of pray and to, to think, we had some ideas, but that evening we um, made the decisions about the names. We tried to be very thoughtful about naming um, our twins. We named baby A, who was the smaller twin. Um, his first name is Benjamin, after um, the tribe of Benjamin. Um, that was given a 
great blessing in Deuteronomy 33:12. It says, Of Benjamin, he said, The beloved of the Lord dwells in safety. The high God surrounds him all day long and dwells between his shoulders. And Benjamin's middle name is Aaron, um, which we uh, is my brother's name, and then we also took it from uh, Psalm 115. O house of Aaron, trust in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. The Lord has remembered us. He will bless us. He will bless the house of Israel. He will bless the house of Aaron. He will bless those who fear the Lord, both the small and the great. I'm thinking of him as the smallest, um, the weakest, the one that um, was more constricted in the womb. Um, for us, that was a really special um blessing on him um, that we wanted to, to give to him. Um, and for Ethan, um, it means uh, it was our baby boy too, um, twin B, was Ethan, which means strong. Um, and it was also the music minister in David's court, and he wrote Psalm 89. says, I will sing of the steadfast love of the Lord forever. With my mouth I will make known your faithfulness to all generations. Um, and Ethan's middle name is David, um, who in um, 1 Samuel 16, it says, 1 Samuel 16, 18 says, One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, Bethlehemite who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, and a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Um, so both of those names... Um, we felt like had a strong impact on who we wanted each of them to be, how we felt like the Lord was even designing their stories um, to be. So Ashley got checked in on Saturday uh, to the hospital just to get the steroid shots and everything was fine on Saturday. Uh, the babies were fine. Um, and then uh, Sunday came, same, she got the, the shot. They let her stay overnight till the surgery on Monday. Uh, but Monday morning, uh, the doctor who does the surgery for uh, the twin to twin, she came in and said, you know, that all weekend she was very concerned uh, that if she would go in um, and would disconnect the links between Benjamin and Ethan that it would kind of seal, even though it would seal their fate in a positive way as it relates to they would be both attached to the placenta, it would also seal them that if one was dependent on the other, that it would take away um, any nutrients um, that would be there. Um, and so that posed the question of, well, what do you want to do? Um, what, how, how do we, do we just let them at this point kind of uh, struggle and there's another kind of less invasive surgery that kind of uh, changes the, the fluid and other things? Or, and some T-cells. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, or do we do the surgery and just let their kind of fates be uh, kind of individual? Because this is a huge moment to make this decision, is, right? Yeah. And so this is... You're saying, if we let Benjamin die in womb, in the womb, then Ethan has a better chance at having a full-term pregnancy, possibly? Correct. But then we haven't, or you felt like you haven't made those efforts to try to save Benjamin. And so in order to try to save Benjamin, then it's the possibility of putting both at risk 
in order to try to save Benjamin. Correct. And the doctor wanted to be very clear about that, give us the options. Um, and at the at the time, it was good for us to process that. And it was a good challenge for us that we have always the, the sanctity of life, um, the 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 value of life. We've always stood on that that belief and that foundation. But here there's a risk. There's a risk to Ashley to have a C-section. There's a risk to uh, Ethan, who was stronger, who had a viability, uh, a lot higher chances of viability. Um, but we knew uh, that our foundation of belief was each Ethan and Benjamin had a value of life, and we wanted to save. Uh, if we could, we wanted to save save them both. And so we convey that to the doctor. Uh, we prayed, uh, and we, we let her know that we serve a big God. And so we, Monday, went into the surgery. I went into the waiting room. Ashley went into the surgery and had an amazing, and I know she could share, but had an amazing chance with the doctors uh, to watch. She got to watch on the screen just as they went in uh, to see the placenta, to see uh, the Lord's handiwork and to see the beauty uh, of our of our children in the womb, to see the beauty of, of the placenta, even uh, though it was causing issues, to see that beauty. Um, and for the doctor, uh, at later points came out and said she would have never guessed in a hundred years uh, that it was a clear answer to our prayer that it was clear that uh, where she needed to separate it was very clear it was very obvious uh, that the surgery would help or the surgery was what they needed to do uh, and that was our prayer that it would be clear it would be it would be obvious what the Lord would um, would want her to do um, and so for us that was a praise to the Lord I remember sitting in the waiting room watching uh, an older lady uh, knitting and, and just thinking of that scripture uh, in Psalm 139, just that that the Lord is knitting these boys in, in Ashley's womb. And it isn't, you know, going exactly the way we would hope it to go, but it's going the way God had planned it to go, even in the hardship, that he is the one knitting, he is the one choosing. Um, and, and so to hear that news from her, that it was obvious, that the surgery went well, um, that that you know, everything was the way they needed it to go um, was a real blessing. And and I think I even took that at that time of, okay, Lord, you know, man, that was a really scary uh, situation. Um, you know, what are you going to do to kind of use this? And just, I really thought at that point, kind of the, the stop. Um, I know Ashley, uh, as she is much wiser than I am, kind of had prepared in heart much more than I had for, you know, what if it doesn't work? Um, and so we started after the surgery a 24-hour period where she was going to be monitored. And so they had a monitor on actually the whole time, just monitoring both boys uh, to make sure the heart rates were doing well and they were doing well. And even in that choice, we could have chosen not to have monitors on so that if one of them uh, would would die, then they wouldn't have the surgery, that they wouldn't have a C-section, that it would just be kind of, okay, they're now, they now don't share the placenta, so if one of them would pass away, the other one would be able to continue in the womb. Um, but we knew that in our so heart. So they gave you a choice of monitoring or not monitoring? They did. So help me understand that, because, so basically, 
you were given the choice to not monitor so that you didn't have to know what was happening with the babies. Correct. So the choice to monitor after the surgeries was to give us a, almost a heads up. If, if their heart rate's going to fail, uh, it's going to fail within this first period of time, even though it looked like the surgery went well and it did go well. And so the option to not be monitored and just um, go home and if their heart rate fails, you just don't know it. And uh, one of the the babies would would pass away and the other one could stay in the womb. The problem is that if you get monitored and one of them starts to fail, then C-section is is going to happen. So even though one would survive very well in the womb um, for a longer period of time, because the other child is failing, uh, it would be a C-section. And then that would, in a sense, risk both children. And so uh, talking to the doctor um, and talking about viability, uh, it was challenging because the doctor who did the surgery, her view of the viability was a lot less um, she had a high view of, of Ethan's viability, but a very low one of, of um, Benjamin based upon his gestational age in the womb and size and stuff. So that was challenging because it was like, well, if he wouldn't survive outside the womb, why would we put Ethan at risk to go into the C-section? Uh, but we knew in our hearts that each life was valuable. Each life deserved if if Benjamin or Ethan had heart failure, we wanted to save them and we weren't just going to let them pass away because we were afraid for what to happen. Um, and it wasn't really until we talked to the uh, neo, um, neonatologist. neonatologist that she gave a better scenario of viability for both children. She said, hey, I know, I know Benjamin's small but we've had smaller babies in the NIC unit that has survived. Um, I know Ethan's struggling, but we've had more issues uh, and, and babies have survived. We've got an amazing NIC unit here in Charlotte. Um, and, and so she gave us the encouragement, even though we had already made that decision, we knew in our heart what the right decision was. She gave us that encouragement of, okay, God, you know, we don't know what you have, but we, we have a peace about this. She had an ultrasound appointment with a doctor uh, at the end of the 24-hour period of monitoring. Um, and so the doctor came in to meet us there. So we, we come into the doctor. We're just having kind of casual conversations with the um, ultrasound uh, tech that was there working. And as he started to look, he stepped out to get uh, the doctor. She came in and immediately uh, she uh, said, well, you know, how, how have they been doing? You know, I'm not able to get uh, Benjamin's heart rate. And we said, oh, they've been good. Uh, you know, at least the last few hours, it's not been perfect, but it's, you know, they've been fine. So she stepped out to get the documents to show the last few hours. And she came back in uh, very um, firmly and said, you know, their heart, Benjamin's heart rate's failing. Um, we need to do the surgery right now. You need to make a decision right a now. A C-section. A C-section um, because Benjamin's heart's failing. And I remember I said, uh, hold, hold on, hold on, Let, let's think about this. And she said, no, we, we need to do the surgery right now. And so Ashley and I um, kind of briefly just kind of talked through the just the, the process. Each other. <laughs> yeah, we, we, we kind of just held each other's hand and looked at each other and then started talking through the process and said, okay, if we, if we don't do the surgery, uh, Benjamin will pass away. Um, and if we do the surgery, it's putting at risk both of them. 
and we both knew what we had already discussed, but now it's being challenged again. And in a very quick, he's, he's dying. What what are we going to do? Um, and, and even communicated to us was he might've already passed. Uh, we can't get his heart rate. Um, he's passing away. Um, but he might've already passed. What do you want to do? And so now we have this kind of, um, very challenging situation. Can I just point out that when you say that we're being challenged, this is, you have made a decision that both babies are valuable. Their Mm -hmm. lives are both valuable. They're both willing. They're both lives that you want to save. Mm -hmm. And so when you say that you're here being challenged again, you're presented with another opportunity to decide what do I believe about that? Correct. And in a medical profession, they um, would say do no harm. And for them, do no harm would be to allow for the success of all the statistics of of what could potentially be the the best outcome. Um, For us, um, we look at it as um, instead of do no harm, it's um, the valuing the weakest. And for us at that stage, it was um, Benjamin that we we value um, the weakest um, in our family at that point. Um, and so that's where our decisions were coming from of, um, of value and um, you know, our response to that. And so we knew right away, you know, that we had already confirmed in our heart. And so we said, okay, let's do the surgery. And so she said, okay, we're getting the stuff. Um, you, you put on scrubs. She told me uh, to get scrubs on. I could be back there with her, and uh, and they would take her uh, to get on the um, operating, garden, operating table. Uh, table. And as I was getting on scrubs, they came in and said, "Hey, we have to do it so fast. We'll just have you stay in the waiting room." And Ashley went back. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to share your experience yeah. being back there? I mean, there? it was less than two minutes that they had me wheeling down. I still had the epidural port in um, because we knew at any point we would want to have a C-section if we needed to. And so being wheeled into the to the room, um, again, um, emergency C-section is nothing that I would ever want anyone to have to go through. Um And I really, I grieve for the medical staff too because um, this is their profession and um, they make life and death decisions every day. And I really um, value the fact that they um, took our wishes and um, advocated for that and advocated for both of our boys. And um to be in, to go into an emergency C-section room where um, I could hear the um, um, code over the, the loudspeaker system of my age, of my boy's gestational age. I knew that was for me. Um, and coming in to them, working very quickly, setting up two uh, of the incubators, warmers, Literally, I think it was three to four minutes from the time that we said, okay, we'll do the emergency C-section to me having a mask over and um, falling asleep. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, I did, I had, our neonatologist was right next to my head and she came right over. She was the one who spoke with us that afternoon. And um, she just said to me, um, I don't think that, um, she said, Benjamin will not make it. Mm. Um, 
And I said, um, please try. Um, as long as his heart is beating, please um, try to do everything that you can. And we have been telling the team up until that point that we are so thankful that they are skilled, that they have such expertise in what they do. Um, but our hope does not lie in medical procedures. Um, ultimately, it is in the life and death that God holds over every decision. So um, we felt like we were able to release a lot of our um, expectations um, on them and be able to let them do their jobs well. Um, that was kind of how I ended it with her and with that team. And um, so I um, was under and Jim went with the boys down to the NICU. Well, I, I followed Benjamin's uh, isolate uh, up to the NIC unit and started to uh, go into the, the NIC unit. And I just I just kind of calmly just said, could I stay, please? And they said, OK, as long as you stay right here, don't you know, I was kind of off to the side of where they were working uh, on Benjamin and they had a team of doctors around them. Um, and, and in the chaplaincy, I've done uh, hospital ministry and I've done kind of uh, crisis ministry. So um, I've been in those situations, but this was definitely unique uh, watching somebody work on your own child. Uh, but yet the professionalism uh, that I saw in that situation created a peace and a calm, you know, not that everything was okay, uh, but they didn't have an influx of, of anxiety uh, they just did their jobs and they worked on them and they took care of them and they had other doctors come in. And, and as I watched that, um, there was a lot of prayers, but there was a lot of peace about that. What they were doing was everything they could to give Benjamin the chance um, to save his life. It was maybe an hour and a half uh, that I was there where they worked on them and they even came and, and said, do you uh, want last rites? Uh, and I said, well, I'm not, I'm not Catholic, you know, no thank you. And I said, but I, I like chaplains. I like prayer. Uh, and they said, okay. Um, and I remember at that moment realizing if they're asking that it's not going the way they, they, because they, it's not going the way um, they want it to go. Uh, one of the doctors that we have definitely come to love and appreciate came to me and said, um, it's time to say goodbye. Um, he, he's, 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 he's dying. It's time to come say goodbye. And so at that point, the doctor team kind of finished what they were doing and moved away. Um, and so I just kind of stroked his head and, um, and they said, would you like to hold him? And I got to. Um, and just held them. And, and I remember um, seeing the features of his feet. He had really lanky feet. Um, and he was just skinny, um, but had a beautiful little nose. And just the, the features that he had, he was a baby, you know? He had value. And, uh, and, and uh, we knew that, but just confirmed in that. And I remember holding him. Uh, and he kind of did a little kick and, and I asked the doctor, I said, I'm not a doctor, but would you mind just seeing if his heart rate, I feel like, I, I feel heart rate. And she said, well, that, that does happen. The heart will uh, continue even though the brain and, and some of the other, the lungs aren't functioning. And, and so um, I held him for a little bit. Uh, she said, you could do skin to skin if you'd like. Um, and so I, I do remember putting him up to my, just kind of up my upper chest. 
Uh, I wanted to kind of rip my shirt and, and, and hold him there, but I, I really wanted to, I didn't want to use him for me. You know, I, I didn't want, in my grief of losing him, I didn't want to somehow hold on to him uh, without respecting um, his life and the value of his life. And so I just held him and prayed with him, talked to him. Um, and they said, uh, would you like to take Benjamin to, to, to Ashley? Uh, she's in the recovery room. And I said, yes. Uh, went up to Ashley's room before we went in. I said, does Ashley know? Uh, and they said, we don't think so. Would you like us to tell her or would you like me to tell her? Uh, or would you like to tell her? And I said, well, I, I, I would like to tell her. And so, um, but as I came in holding Benjamin, I just started crying and said, I was sorry. Um, and, uh, and I just remember Ashley just going, you know, that, that motherly, you know, ooh, that a mom gives, not, not a cry of a loss, but a cry of just as if Benjamin was alive. Um, and, and what, and she was just held him like a baby. And, uh, I remember just watching her treat Benjamin like she's treated our other kids, um, and just hold him and talk to him very softly um kiss him and uh you know for us being able to spend that time in that or recovery room um holding benjamin and seeing um just how perfectly formed he was i think it made the weight of all the what ifs and um even just thinking of you know terms of viability and pregnancy and fetus and all the term terminology and try to make judgment calls on all of that and then um, to step out in faith to make decisions to do everything that we could and to still um, ultimately lose um, one of our children and for Benjamin to to be laying there with us um, it helped us to see the value in doing all that we could for him um, value of him being a person. We heard a knock at the door um, and the nurse came in and said, oh, excuse me, your boss is here. <laughs> uh, and and I kind of wiped some tears and, and I said, my boss. And as I heard out in the hallway, um, the um, one of the chaplains that is in charge of the school that I'm in uh, was had come with his wife to, to visit us. I mean, at that point, we had thought the ultrasound would have gone well and we would have been in recovery. And so they were going to come visit us just the normal day. And I hadn't had enough time to kind of turn to wave them off and say, hey, the day is not the way we thought it would go. Uh, and so they came to see us and they didn't know what had happened at that point. And as I heard them in the hallway, I just I stepped out to go in the hallway and just gave him a big hug and just cried. And, and uh, he said, I, you know, I don't know what's happened, but I'm here. We're here. And so I had him and his wife, who was my mentor, uh, encourager at a previous military assignment and encourager for Ashley, come in and, and meet Benjamin um, and, and share with them our loss of Benjamin, but also our joy of being able to hold him. And uh, the wife, uh, who was very just dear to us, prayed with Ashley, um, prayed with us as, as they held us uh, and cried with us. Can I just ask you, Jim, what, what was this like, you being a chaplain in the military and then having 
someone dear to you be a chaplain to you? What was that like? Humbling. Um, if a year ago you would have given me a white sheet of paper and said, okay, you're going to have the hardest time in your life, and I want you to write down a chaplain that you want to be there, uh, and then a pastor that you want to be there within a, a, an hour period of time, um, he, I, I would have laughed and said, "Good luck finding me," because they were in, at that point a year ago. They were in different places, and all you know. Um, but to see the Lord do that, to see the Lord's hand minister to us in that dark place, um, but to have somebody who was a mentor, to have somebody that we looked up to, be there at that time to be a chaplain, that we could just rest in that, that we could just fall into the arms like we you would a dad um, after a long day or a hard day. Um, that's what they became to us at that time. That's what we really needed. And so I, I left with Benjamin from the recovery room back up to the NIC unit to do some pictures. The nurse asked, she said, would you like to bathe um, Benjamin and just mm -hmm. kind of prepare him? Um, and, and I said, yes, but can we wait till my wife comes? And she said, okay. Um, and then maybe a minute or two after that, here comes Ashley in a wheelchair with uh, the pastor from our church, um, our local church, the church that I was a youth pastor in, um, my mentor, my associate pastor, um, the pastor that married us. So here they are coming in with Ashley uh, in this moment of, challenge and tragedy um not only did my uh chaplain mentor be there but here's our pastor uh when we were going to bathe benjamin and so they took pictures for us um they ministered to us they kind of helped uh as ashley and i um cared for benjamin and uh it was really to be able to just to rest in that i mean to 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 have to do that, to have to say goodbye, um, and to do that alone, I don't, I don't know how I would have been able to do it. But to, to be there with Ashley and to be there with um, our pastor and our pastor's wife that we loved and that loved us, just um, gave such a grace. Yeah, um, I was reading that um, death is not a crisis. Um, that take the time to grieve and to do the things, you know, after, after the death has come, take those moments to um, really appreciate the person and to um, do the things that you want to do. Um, don't rush through after the death has happened. And so um, I think that was, um, I'm glad that the team there um, really knew to do that for us and to give us that time. And so um, we just felt very compelled to just put Benjamin to bed like we do our other kids. And um, so we were. We were able to give him a bath just like we do every night with our kids. We were able to um, put lotion on his body and... Um, I was able to do the sign of the cross on his um, forehead with um, lotion and just um, be able to ask the Lord to take him. And um, I prayed and um, saying, Jesus loves me. 
I sing uh, Jesus Loves Me to each of my kids, and I tell them um, instead of um, Jesus Loves You, I say Jesus Loves Margo, Jesus Loves JD, Jesus Loves Ethan, Jesus Loves Drew, Jesus Loves Benjamin. So um, I just inserted his name and um, sang that to him, and um, it was um, really powerful for us to be able to um, do what we do with our kids and to be able to say goodbye and hold him and um, to feel like they, they gave lots of options for us to be able to keep him with us for a more extended period of time. Um, but um, we felt very appropriate for, for our family that that was um, the way to say goodbye and um, the way to be able to um, give him over to the Lord and um, to do that. Yeah. Um, and so we did that uh, and we had a, an amazing chance to be in a holy place, um, mm-hmm. to know that what we we're doing was connecting us to Benjamin who was in heaven. Uh, and then we, we essentially just all walked right over across the little little hallway to where Ethan was and just started the journey with him um, and it was it was a somber thing to to release to release Benjamin uh, into the hand of the Lord and then to say okay Lord we're, Ethan still has a fight uh, Ethan still has a journey to go on and we didn't know how long that would take us either but just to kind of set up this season of, of kind of transitioning and taking care of Ethan um, this was a huge role reversal mm-hmm. in a lot of ways for you guys. Mm-hmm. So I'd love to know what this role reversal was like for you guys, for you to be an hour away from the kids, Ashley, and especially when you had considered homeschooling them during this mm-hmm. time, mm-hmm. um, before any of this happened, the plan was for you to homeschool the kids mm-hmm. because of the brief stay here. Mm-hmm. And now you find yourself in Charlotte an hour away, not being able to leave Ethan, um, while the kids are back at home mm-hmm. an hour from you. So what was this like for you guys? There were so many layers of, you know, the grief of losing Benjamin, the um, stress of um, Ethan's uh, medical needs, um, still having our son Drew, having uh, follow-up appointments for his seizures, um, and then, you know, our older two with um, trying to decide about schooling and, and what we were going to do. Um, and um, for a big part of it, I had to release, and um, we had made a good support system around us of amazing friends and family and um we leaned on those resources um for them to to use their gifts and what they're passionate about in order to invest in our kids in ways that we couldn't at that time and so we we released a lot of our um control um and um we even told our kids um something that i tell them whenever jim is deployed is um that you're giving up your your daddy to go uh to deploy in order for you to um have another mommy or daddy be able to come home and it's you know we have to make 
take turns. We have to take turns with uh, the deployments and, and when daddy has to go. And thank you for being part of that and for sacrificing so that another um, kid can have their family back whole again. And um, so we did um, talk to our kids and just say, hey, you know, this is going to be like a deployment in a sense because you are letting mommy and daddy come and be with your brother and um, you are sacrificing in order to have him have the best connection with our family for us to be there with him uh, as it turned from weeks to months um, for Jim to be able to go um, and he was Mr. Mom and was amazing at um, keeping appointments and interactions with um, our daughter who does dance and other um, activities and I didn't step into to mom role with them for four months um, and they came up and visited me but yeah I had to kind of give that up. It was a gift that, that my family was giving me to be able to be there in the NICU to be able to um, minister to other families and to be able to get to know these nurses and these respiratory therapists, um, nurse practitioners, uh, neonatologists, they were um, absolutely amazing. Being in a NICU unit was a lot harder for me. Um, I think um, that aspect of a hospital can go from very traumatic to very sterile very quickly. And so being next to Ethan's bed space, looking across the little tiny hallway and seeing the empty bed space where Benjamin was being very sterile. There's, there was no uh, evidence that anything ever happened there, but it, except in my own, in my own experience and my own tragedy, uh, that, that was really hard. And it was really hard for me to emotionally connect to Ethan in that way. Um, Ashley, had that motherly connection that uh, you know all moms have but for me it was really i couldn't do anything i couldn't help them i couldn't just be next to them it was almost like i was just waiting for something negatively to happen so my experience was challenging to be there so it i would only go for shorter periods of time compared to ashley being there for a lot longer so it worked out well for for drew to come up to charlotte just to even give me a chance to kind of be a dad mm -hmm. and and to do what what i was able to help and spend time with you and, and connect with them and play and it allowed me to kind of step into that really hard situation with ethan and then step out and, and uh, interact and and i think we knew that our family's best asset uh, is Ashley. We all know that. Everyone, every one of our kids knows that Ashley's the best thing of our family. You know, the best, uh, and I know of our couple, Ashley's the best of our couple. Um, I always joke that I got her uh, young before she knew any better because she started dating in high school. And, and so I know we, we all kind of knew to apply to Ethan, who we all loved, uh, Ashley was the best asset that we can give Ethan. And so we all worked, Ashley's parents, the kids, me, we all worked to make sure that Ethan had the best, which was Ashley's attention, Ashley's time, Ashley's voice, Ashley's touch, even though it was very limited at start. Um, and, and as it relates to even sacred spaces, you know, because we've talked about 
uh, I've been on multiple deployments and roles and other things. And we kind of, okay, you're, you know, this is kind of role reversal. Now I'm the one home and you're the one there. And and, and in the later months, it kind of felt a little bit more like that. But I, I would note with Ashley that this is a lot different. You're, when I go on a deployment, I don't ever become a dad. Like I'm never, besides the time I call you on the phone, I'm never dad. I'm, I'm a chaplain most 24 seven, you know, you are away, but you're still being a mom. You're leaving children uh, to go be with your children. It, it became very challenging to Ashley, but I think it helped for her to know we're all working hard to make sure you're there and you're still doing what is right. Um, but earlier on, we, I would say in the first three or four days, probably at the time at the, while we were at the hospital, the Lord, by His grace, revealed to us kind of the foundations of how to walk the, you know, these last few months. Um, as it relates to, we knew the best way to honor Benjamin was to honor his Creator. And so that early decision, probably the day after Benjamin passed, the Lord put it on our hearts. You know, I, I feel like I just, I woke up with that on my heart that that's the best way to do it. And so that set the tone for how we interacted with doctors. It set the tone how we interacted with our own emotions. It set the tone of how we did the memorial, you know, the, the funeral, memorial service and funeral worship service uh, for Benjamin. Um, it's how we treated Ethan. Um, th- this is God's plan we stamped it as this is God's perfect plan and we're going to walk in it and trust him for these hard times. We're going to trust him for the battles. We're going to trust him for these steps. We're going to trust him for that breath that we know Ethan needs to take. Um, We're going to trust him that even though he's not taking the breath, Lord, you're going to do the work to have him take Mm -hmm. a breath. One of the reasons why I wanted to invite you guys to share the story is, um, both of you, especially Ashley, was sharing her experience um, throughout this journey with, through the NICU, um, really sharing what was going on with Ethan as much as you could, Ashley, sharing that. Um, and it was an unbelievable experience to watch from a distance, even though you guys were just an hour up the road. And those that are listening, um, Ethan is joining us now, which is a wonderful, wonderful time for him to enter into the conversation and what a joy it is to have him home. And, um, and that's a huge blessing and a huge, just, I mean, we could conclude the story right there, but that's not really actually, um, all of the story. And so watching you guys from a distance was unbelievably life-changing for not just me, but for a lot of other people, those that you have ministered in the past to who are watching this journey. Um, you know, we're living in a day and age where people can be part of your story, even though Mm -hmm. we're states apart, you know, a country apart even. And so a few of the things that were standing out to me was the remarkable blessing it was to have Ashley, your parents, and I know Jim, your parents came in a little bit too, and being able to have the provision of that, to watch the community around you here at Fort Jackson that was surrounding you, everything from taking the kids trick-or-treating at Halloween and making sure they had costumes. I know um, those were made available to you guys too. Like people, it's amazing to me that you started this whole thing saying that you're coming from Washington state ready to minister Mm -hmm. and give. And that's definitely not what God had designed. God had designed for you guys to receive. Mm -hmm. And I think 
be changed mm -hmm. by um, the ministry of other people's presence. Mm -hmm. You talk about in the chaplain world that it's a ministry of presence. Yes. It's a matter of just being there. And you've already talked about how this pastor and your mentoring chaplain just not even doing much, but mm -hmm. just the ministry of presence and how much that's exactly what you needed. Mm -hmm. And so what was this like for your faith? For you guys to walk through this season of loss, to walk through this moment to moment, wondering if there's going to be another loss, to go through a season of stress and separation um, for you guys as a couple. And, and yes, you guys being a military couple prepared you somewhat for that. But what did this do um, to your faith system compared to what it was a year ago, like you said? And that, you know, if, you, if you could rewind the clock, this is not at all what you were expecting a year ago. So... What happened in your faith between and between you guys as a couple, your your couple faith, if you will, during this time? So Psalm 115, 14 says, May the Lord cause you to flourish, both you and your children. And um, that was a verse that God gave me um, as all this was unfolding. And I thought, Lord, you've, you've caused loss in our life. Um, how is this having my children to flourish? Um, and um, so as I sat at Ethan's bedside, um, as we um, grieved the loss of Benjamin, as um, Jim uh, was correcting and uh, instructing our children at home, um, that all of those... Um, put more into perspective what our core value was um, and gave us a greater awareness of our future de destination, that it wasn't just the here and now. Um, we have to be faithful in the here and now and do the next thing, but it was um, a way for us to almost have the curtain pulled back a little bit to this life and to um, see the meaningful steps that we have um, toward uh, loving God and loving others, um, starting with our own home and our own nuclear family, and then reaching out to those around us um, that God put in our path. And every day there was someone new in, in my experience in the NICU, someone uh, knew that I got to interact with and that I was blessed by and that I got to um, pour into. We absolutely believe that the ultrasound um, saved Benjamin and saved Ethan. And we even believe that uh, in many ways, Benjamin saved Ethan. Um, mm -hmm. Because if Benjamin's heart rate wasn't failing, if we would have been checked out and, and everything was okay, um, the possibility, we don't know, but the possibility of Ethan's heart uh, mm -hmm. to fail without when we weren't being monitored was very high. Um, but a parent, you take risk. You take risk for your children. You take risk to save your children. You take risk to, to protect them or to give them. Um, and, and I think that was why it wasn't their decision um, in these situations because they had all the science and all the, the percentages, um, but it was our decision to make as, as Benjamin and Ethan's parents. And by God's grace and the prayers of others, we, we walked in that. Um, and, and we are able to look back knowing not that everything worked the way we wanted it to. You know, the Lord didn't have this cup pass like we thought. Um, 
but we are so confident in those decisions. We're so confident in those um, the value that we placed on Benjamin, the value that we placed on Ethan, that now we can stand on those foundations and, and kind of and let the Lord build upon those and not feel like um, we made decisions out of fear or not feel like we made decisions out of um, maybe our own interest over uh, what we felt like God had placed upon our hearts. Um, and we viewed that as the Lord's kind of walking with us. Um, I, I've been asked, are, are you angry with God? And I, I'm not. I don't think Ashley is. Um, and not because we're we're not hurting, uh, and not because we don't think God is in control and, and God is choosing this hard time for us, but we are feeling so overwhelmed by his grace, so overwhelmed in that the time that we got to spend with Benjamin, even though it was short, it was still time with him. The time that we get to be with Ethan, even though it was challenging, um, the multiple things that we have seen, if, if we are confirming that this is God's perfect plan for our life and our loss, we're also confirming that all these other things that are happening that are giving us encouragement and strength and, and that he's standing with us. And we're looking for that. We're looking across the horizon to see where God's hand is moving um, so that we say, okay, Lord, if this is what you're taking out of our hand, what, what are you going to place in it? Uh, whether it be um, just desires or dreams or hopes, uh, he's he's been with us, and a lot of times as a chaplain, I've done grief counseling with other soldiers or other families, and I and I use the illustration of the waves in grief that there are waves in grief, and and even in this scripture, it talks about the raging waters would have swept us away, but praise be to the Lord, um, we weren't. If somebody is out there that is listening, that's going through their own time of suffering. Um, whether it's a loss of a child, a miscarriage, um, it, suffering is subjective, right? Somebody's listening and it's bringing up something from, for them. And maybe they listen to your story and they go, I don't know how they did that because I'm not doing that very well. And I don't, I don't know if I have that. What, was, what would be your encouragement to them? Um, I would say that... We don't have a corner on suffering. Um, being a family who has been in the chaplaincy um, for a number of years, um, for spending the NICU time of 120 days in the NICU, um, we've seen other families going through um, impossibly difficult um, trials. And um, so we don't have a corner on suffering. But um, God is writing a story in our lives that's bigger than ourselves, um, and our desire is for others to grasp what we've learned, um, and that's to lean in to support, um, whether that's um, other friends or family members, um, or um, for us, it was a huge uh, lesson in um, leaning into the cross of Christ, the ultimate sacrifice um, for us um, is looking at um, Christ's death. And so um, for us to lean into that, um, I would say that through this experience that I could lean in, read scripture, um, look at, at 
Christ's suffering on the cross, and it never came up void. It always met me. I think that, um, coupled with um, a quote that I heard um, that says, trauma creates change you didn't choose. Healing is about creating change you do choose. Mm. Um, Paul talks about that I hold on to that which holds on to me. And that is how we have felt, that we are holding so much onto the cross, and the cross is holding so much onto us. And I feel like with all the unique situations out there, I can't give some, well, do this or do that or this, you know, but every situation can be applied to that truth, that um, that it's not your strength or your ability to fight through the storm. It's your willingness to submit, to let the Lord do the work. Um, and, and I feel like that is where we're at. You know, we're not through it. Uh, this is a long road. Loss is a road till eternity, but uh, it's, it's one that we see the Lord helping and strengthening and encouraging and giving us opportunities over and over again to give testimony to that which is held on to us. Thank you guys for um, being willing to share your story. The reason why it has made such an impact on so many lives is because you you did submit. Maybe you didn't feel like you didn't, you didn't have any other option. You had plenty of options, but you decided that you didn't have any other option than to do that. And because of that, you were living your story, but people have been watching your story. And because you chose to submit to God and not rely on your own strength, it has been an amazing experience to watch God without even disturbing the sacred space moments that was going through your life on your moment to moment experience. He was also putting a spotlight on what he was doing. And people have been encouraged and inspired and people have been amazed. How can a family, how can a couple, how can a chaplain family, with the amount of stress and loss and and what you guys have been asked to do as a family and to watch your faith increase uh, has been so humbling to watch and so encouraging that God told his own story. Thank you for being willing to share that story and, and model that for the rest of us because we are all deeply challenged and so, so very proud of both of you for it. And it's been an honor for me to know you and call you guys friends and to serve this calling with you. I, I leave, I, this, I've been in your presence several times, but I leave every time going, wow, Lord, what you're teaching me through them has been amazing. So thank you guys for giving me your time. Thanks for listening to the Life Giver Podcast. If you're enjoying these conversations as being free of advertising or sponsorship, please help me by spreading the word to other military and first responder families that might benefit from the show. If you'd like to find out more about me or Life Giver, you can find more information at www.coryweathers.com or life-giver.org.